You're listening to the Cannabis Investing Network. Before we begin, a short disclaimer. The full disclaimer follows at the end of this episode. This podcast is a general communication and is being provided for entertainment and information purposes only. It is educational in nature and is not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment strategy, plan, feature, or other purpose. Please enjoy responsibly. Hello and welcome back to the Cannabis Investing Network podcast. My name is Manish and I'm here today with my co-host, Abby. What's happening, big dog? <laughs> hey, Abby, how are you? Very well, man. How are you? <laughs> you sound well. You sound well. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're starting off in a good mood because today we have what I Some think... Some of us have to be optimistic here. That's right. That's right. And uh, I'm going to be raining a little bit of doom and gloom today. Um, and I have to say, I think this is the most important episode we've done so far, um, because today I'm going to be ringing some alarm bells um, on what I see as being the biggest risk to the cannabis industry and to cannabis investors. And um, I have uh, I've spent a lot of time talking about this and thinking about this over the last little while, as you know, um, and um, I unfortunately haven't haven't heard more people talking about this, which is which is why I think it's so important to do this episode. For sure. I mean, you know what? We, we've heard people talk about it a little bit. We've heard murmurs and whatnot. Even mm-hmm. you and I have chatted about it before. But now I feel like last three weeks, mm-hmm. you know, just back and forth conversations with yeah. you on the phone and mm-hmm. whatnot, kind of like Chicken Little running around. The sky is about to fall. The sky is about to fall. This, so. is, this is the Chicken Little episode. <laughs> That's is true. It. That's correct. So yeah. what we are referring to is basically what um, what I think is going to happen within the next six months and, and potentially sooner. Uh, I think there is a very high risk of us seeing um, basically a 2008 style liquidity credit crisis within the cannabis space. Um, I think it's going to send shockwaves through the industry. I think we're going to see uh, a lot of companies fall by the wayside. And I think we are in for a very painful uh, experience in the short term. And then on the flip side, I think that will create one of the best investing opportunities we've ever seen. Right. So I would say I am short term pessimistic. Um, but then medium and long term, uh, very bullish. Okay, so let's get into the the details. We're going to be talking a little bit about, um, you know, why I think this, what the thesis is, um, how we got here, what it actually means, how you guys can see for yourselves what I've been in researching and discussing, um, and then the so what, like like you know, how can you uh, play it? How can you hedge yourself as an investor? Um, and then what are some sort of caveats and and ways that uh, we might get a, get out of trouble or not uh, or avoid trouble, basically? Sounds good. Sounds like a really positive, fun filled <laughs> episode here. So are that, we just going to see a sea of red on our screens, Manish? Is that what's going to happen? Uh, OK, so when it when it comes to what we're going to discuss today, there's there's two parts to this. OK, there's the first part, which is fact. Right. There's the data. There's the numbers that, um, you know, to some degree is almost the easy part, because in today's market, uh, if you care to look, all of the information is there and it's not perfect information, but it is there. And anybody with an Internet connection can can go and dig it up. Right. 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 Um, If they know where to look. 
right. they know where to look. Yes, sure. Or if they care to look, right? Or if they know what to look for, right? Yeah. Um, so that's the first part, and that's actually kind of the easy part. The second part, which is more complicated, is the speculation and the predictions, right? And this is the part that has the uncertainty to it because nobody knows what happens next. And anybody who tells you they know for sure is basically full of it. Right. So we're going to be speaking in terms of like probabilities and, um, you know, potential outcomes, but there's always that element of uncertainty attached to it. For sure. And usually big crashes, especially because I know you drew the parallel to 2008 mm-hmm. earlier in the episode. Big crashes are usually black swan events where they're anomalies. And 2008 was based off of fraud. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about fraud here. You know, we're talking about fundamentals mm-hmm. that people are just overlooking. Sure. So so let's get into that. So basically there is, it's important to differentiate. There's the fundamentals, which is, you know, the underlying businesses. And then there's the capital markets, right? Which is... Yeah the stock price, you know, the raising capital, that kind of stuff. And as we've seen, especially with cannabis or any kind of new venture, these things are not always correlated, right? So in 2018 and 19, we had stocks shooting through the roof like real rocket ships. Because everybody wanted to get in and exactly. they just wanted to open their wallets and give them to whoever. Absolutely. It was, it was a torrent of capital coming in. And yet on the fundamental side, I mean, in 2018, there literally were no fundamentals because right. sales hadn't started. And in 2019, you could kind of see, you know, if you were really paying attention, that the fundamental story wasn't playing out as well as it should have been, right? Slow rollouts, not enough retail stores, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, the funny thing is 2020, I think from a fundamental standpoint, this is going to be the best year we've ever had. More people will buy cannabis this year than than has ever um, has ever been, and and not by a little bit, by like a multiple of, of what we've experienced already, right? Um, but there's a lot of carnage ahead, in my opinion, on the capital market side. So how we got here basically is that, to your point, um, there was a lot of uh, capital activity in the space, a lot of money wanting to get in. Most of it was, you know, private or, you know, semi-institutional. Mm-hmm. So it was it was very much risk capital. Um, and people did extraordinarily well, right? And 2018 and 2019 were really the years that we saw the boom in capital and and capital just flowing in and a lot of different kind of companies getting funded um, and arguably some that shouldn't have been funded, right? right? So we have now uh, basically over 200 public companies um, in the cannabis space, both in Canada and the US, okay? So what's happening is the majority of these companies are burning cash and a lot of them are burning cash quite rapidly. Now, a lot of people will make the argument and a very fair argument that, you know, hey, when you have a new stage company, an early venture company, that's what they do. They burn cash until they can get to a certain size and scale and then they become profitable, right? And self-funding. And the classic example people always use is Amazon, mm-hmm. right? Um, however, the problem is, uh, if you think about that as a business model, is that at, at any point, if the capital markets stop be, being there for you and stop being able to fund your um, your growth, yeah. well, if your business is not cash flowing and it's eating cash, right. um, then you're at a very real risk of going broke. For sure. For right? sure. And that's basically what we're seeing play out in the cannabis space right now. Um, the frothiness of 2019, 2018 and 2019 basically has led to this setup 
where companies got hooked to this easy money. Mm -hmm. They thought the money would always be flowing. Right. And now that's not the case. Right. And, you know, I think we've done it in this podcast as well. But I know you and I have chatted about this in the past. We've drawn the parallels to the Internet bubble. And going back to your Amazon point, uh, you know, when the Internet was first invented and all the com- mm-hmm. and all the companies were listing on the Nasdaq, yep. like Pets.com, you had sure. all these. And it's really difficult to spot the the Amazon, the Google, the Yahoo Absolutely. during that time. And that's kind of where we are today, right? Yes. A lot Absolutely. of money came in. Back then, they didn't have revenues. A lot of these cannabis companies do have revenues, but now we're like, hey, it's not its not just important that you make money. You have to keep some of exactly. that money. Um, and so that's not to say that, you know, even with all this and even with the trepidation that we're sort of forecasting here, an Amazon won't, you know, come out of the ashes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? And that's the flip side of my sort of doom and gloom prediction here mm-hmm. is that there's going to be a lot of big winners out of this. Right. And that's where the opportunity lies. But we'll get to that. So I just want to talk about the thesis of like, how did we get here? Like, what is what does this actually mean? And how can you sort of see this for yourself? Um, is that uh, so a couple of things. So first of all, um, you know, we had a lot of companies being funded, right? We had a lot of capital flowing into the space. Um, and the rollouts, unfortunately, in almost every market have been slow, limited and painful. So California, of course, was you just looked at it and said, look, there's 40 million people there. It's going to be an incredible cannabis market. And in many ways it is, right? We've talked about the products, the companies, the stuff you see there is very impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's projected they're going to do like 3 billion U.S. in 2019, mm-hmm. right? So last year, that's a huge number, right? Um, and yet there just seems to be so many companies who just can't seem to turn a profit there, right? Right, And I think what we've seen is the black market is is uh, a very well-established market. Um, that means you have a, a big selling industry, like a lot of sellers and providers, but you have a lot of buyers too, right? Like the, the uh, cannabis consumer in California and Canada, they don't mind buying from their black market dealer, right? right? It's not like some of the other places, like in Illinois, for example, people don't necessarily want to buy from the dealers because the dealers... Um, they're not just usually weed dealers. They have other drugs as well. Uh, and that's a generalization, but that's typically more true right. depending on where you go, right? So well, here it's pretty accepted because I think we, ta- we talked about this too, right? Right in front of the honeypot over here, there's that one guy who sells joints in the yeah. lineup. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's illegal in all fronts. Yeah, and is it is it weird that he looks exactly like you? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, actually. Now we know what Abby does on his off days. So. <laughs> or my on days. <laughs> okay. okay, but the, anyways, the guy actually exists. Yeah. <laughs> so the rollouts have been slow and limited, and, you know, it's getting better, right? Like, we're having Cannabis 2.0 in Canada. We're having a rollout of more stores in Ontario, but it's really slow. That's what I, I you know, when you go and look at and you're really in it, you notice that it's not moving as fast as people want. And it won't move as fast as people want. And the rate of burn of cash, the way these companies are burning, I don't see how a lot of them are going to be able to survive even as things get better. So timing is a serious, serious issue here. Could they not slow down the burn rate? Great, great point. So yes and no, 
right? So when you're looking at a company's cash flow statement, which is typically the third one, so you've got the balance sheet, then you've got the uh, income statement, then you've got the cash flow statement. So when you're looking at the cash flow statement, there's three parts to the cash flow statement. There's operations, there's investing, and there's financing. So the operations part is your day-to-day ops, right? So that's probably the hardest one to ramp down because let's say you're a cultivator, right? For you to ramp down your operational expense, you have to lay off employees, you have to like, you know, basically shutter your doors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a retailer, well, you know, you can fire all your employees, but you still have to pay rent, right? right? So, so again, it's hard to ramp those down. Right. Your investment side, that's like if you're buying equipment, if you're buying a property, that side, theoretically, you could ramp down, mm-hmm. right? You can just say, look, we're not spending any more on any new equipment or, you know, we're not buying anything new. Right. right. We're not going to go um, acquire new companies or whatever it is. Right. Right. The problem is, again, a lot of times that was your that's your pathway to becoming profitable. Right. So if yes, we can stop spending money on all new investments. Um, but if we still got a money losing operation, what are we doing here? Right. Right. Exactly. You're essentially just deferring the inevitable. Right? Yeah. But you have a good point. Um, when I'm looking at you know, companies and, and I'm doing my, are you going to go broke analysis? I often sort of just assume, okay, let's say you're, you can ramp your investment spending down to zero. So I'm more focused on the operating side. Right. Right. Because, OPEX, like. because that one's a lot harder to ramp down without doing mass layoffs. Even if you do mass layoffs, like it's, if you fire everybody, you don't have a company anymore. So, right. so there's, you know, there's some give and take there. There's only so much you can really ramp down. Right. And usually the response, if you ask companies this, they usually come back and say, oh, well, our cash bros, our, our cash bro, our cash <laughs> burn is uh, controlled. Right. And a good question is like, well, how did you control it? And then they'll kind of walk you through some of it and you can kind of say, okay, well, this right. is, you know, BS, this makes sense, this right. doesn't, you know. Right, 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 right. So just because, right. you know, if, if somebody's talking here to a company, it's a, that's a good way to ask a question. Absolutely. So all of this wouldn't be that big of a deal except the equity and the debt markets have really, really run dry. So it's ext- I think it's harder than it's ever been to raise um, capital. In the cannabis market, in this the, is the, the hardest yeah. it's ever been Absolutely. to raise capital. Actually, on that note, it's actually one of the hardest it is on uh, high-risk asset classes and speculative stocks. Interesting. Right? Interesting. Um, we, Anyways, yeah. Yeah, and, and I'm sure you know that we can talk about this in another episode, but there's examples like with WeWork and stuff like that, IPOs that, that kind of crash and burn. Right. And, um, and it just maybe shows you in this late-stage economic cycle, mm-hmm. investors aren't willing to keep throwing money at things that haven't achieved profitability yet. Right, and a lot of people are just afraid that the bull market's going to come to an end, so they, you know, load up on fixed income, but right. they give up some of their gains. Right, they shift, you know, they de-risk and go to yeah, earlier than the assets. Yeah, exactly, and I yeah. think they're doing it earlier than they should. And, but and cannabis different. is, you know, the top of the list when it comes to risky assets. Oh, absolutely, right? absolutely. So that's the backdrop. Now, it's funny for me to be sitting here saying, well, the capital markets have dried up, because if you're paying attention, you'll notice that in the last month, six weeks, there have been like five or six monster cannabis deals announced. So Cureleaf raised a 300 million US dollar um, debt facility. Uh, Cresco announced today that they just uh, raised a 200 million US debt facility. Um, Ianthus, Harvest, like all of these guys did, these, these were convertible deals, but still were able to raise significant amounts of, amount of, uh, amounts of capital. IIPR, the REIT, um, announcing today they're going out and raising about $160 million US. So 
that doesn't quite align with what I'm telling you with the equity markets being dry. Um, but what you need to understand is that those are some of the very best and established players. Um, and even for them, it is an extremely difficult market in which to raise capital. Uh, but you're going to see, we've talked about before the separation, that's part of what you're seeing here. The best companies are able to raise the capital. Uh, and there's an old saying in, in uh, you know, mortgages and lending that um, banks only want to lend you money once you've proven you don't need it. Yeah. Right. And, and the idea being that they don't want to take any risk. Exactly. Right? They want to see that you have all the money in the world and then they'll give you more money. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's. This is like, you know, if, if you think about income inequality, this is like, you know, the financing and capital inequality. So the rich companies, the well-to-do companies are already, are, are being well-funded and they can get richer now. Right. They have access to better capital than companies that actually need it. Or capital, period. Right. Right. And the fact that, you know, Curaleaf goes out and raises $300 million U.S. in debt, that just tells you how capital intensive this industry is. Right, because these guys already have a bunch of money on the balance sheet. Three hundred million is a huge amount of money to raise. It just shows you how much money it takes to build out your footprint. Like cannabis is such a capital-intensive business, and I think that's what everybody missed: how much money it takes to really build out a facility, or to build out distribution, or you know, on and on the list. Goes. Build a brand. Yeah, brand building. Absolutely. Yeah. and and these facilities. I mean. If anybody who's listening has not visited <clears throat> a facility, that you, you should really try to see if you can with one of the companies that you hold. And you'll see that these are pharmaceutical-grade facilities that are being built out, right? They're, they're massive buildings. They have state-of-the-art security, um, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Technologically extremely advanced. It's right. not just what it used to be in the past. And right. So that that is CapEx-intensive. Yeah, no question. So, so now we get to, um, I think... I think Q3, Q4, Q3-ish last year, September-ish, um, Alan Brockstein on 420 Investor was the first person I hear I heard talking about the term capital crunch. And that was basically to say that, hey, it's getting hard to raise capital, um, and we're starting to see people make more desperate moves to raise capital, okay? He was the first person I really heard coin the term capital crunch, and that's been repeated many, many times. I said on our predictions episode, which is we actually recorded a month ago in December, I'm upgrading that to capital crisis, right? And I'm sticking by that. And what I'm saying is for a lot of these companies, not the top, you know, five or 10%, but the, everybody else, like guys, especially at the bottom of the list or, you know, in the lower end of the pack, it is a capital crisis out there. Because when it comes to Equity, a lot of the retail investors and the people who typically were funding have been very badly burned. Um, when it comes to debt, a lot of like lenders are very risk adverse in by nature, right? So um, you can either have cash flow lending, which is okay, a company's profitable, so we'll we'll give you a, a loan based on that, or you can have asset based lending. So cash flow lending is what most banks do. They go, okay, you made a dollar of profit. That means you can afford, you know, whatever it is, right? You can afford a dollar of debt. So if you made it, you know, $10 million last year, we'll give you $10 million of, of debt or whatever it is, mm -hmm. right? Um, no, almost nobody has that in cannabis. So that's basically out the window. So what you're left with is asset-based lending, right? So somebody says, okay, you purchased, you know, a property for $10 million. We'll give you 6 or $7 million against that, right? Gotcha. Um, the problem 
with asset-based lending today is a lot of these companies are staring down the face of their assets being worth less. Not worthless, but worth less right. often than what they paid for it. So you paid 20 million, you invested another 30, your cost on your balance sheet is 50 million. Um, the market values it at maybe 25 million. Exactly, or less, right? right. And because um, we saw, for example, Aurora list a greenhouse facility for $17 million. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they got that as part of the Med Relief acquisition, which they paid over $3 billion for. Uh, that greenhouse facility, they'd listed for a higher amount on their balance sheet. The problem is today, the pool of buyers for a cannabis facility is very limited because people just don't have the capital. Right. So when capital is flowing, flowing freely, it pushes asset prices asset prices up rapidly. Right. When capital stops flowing, those prices plummet. And then when you have people trying to sell assets, which, by the way, if you talk to bankers a lot of assets are for sale quietly. So a lot of assets are out there, um, you know, being shopped around to different groups and not a lot of people are biting because they don't have the capital. Yeah. Um, so what what will happen, my prediction is, is as these assets flood the market and you don't have buyers for them, the value will drop precipitously. Right. Is there any company that you see that's on your radar where this you see this scenario playing out? Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, this this Excel sheet that I've been working on, you know, it started out with just a couple of companies. Um, and, you know, you and I had been talking about, we mentioned in the last podcast, you know, we don't, we're not at the bottom until we see companies go under. Yeah. Because how is it that we have 200 companies, we know the challenges they're having, we can see the cash they're burning, and yet we've had two companies go under. So hold on, I, I'll, I'll agree and disagree with you on that statement. I'll yeah, agree please. with you on that statement because I've, I don't think we're at the bottom. Definitely not. I think this rally that we're seeing is short-lived. Um, but they don't necessarily have to go under. There can be M&A or merchant acquisitions that end up happening. Usually it's like a fire sale. They don't necessarily go belly up. What they do is they sell to somebody else for a deep discount, sure. right? So sure. there's that that avenue as well. And you see that you see that in a lot of other commodities, right? You see that in oil. You see that in sure. gold. You see that in quite a bit. Sure. So, but we haven't seen that though. We haven't seen any hostile mergers, right. or we haven't seen people offloading distressed assets. I know you just mentioned that you yep. know some of the, your banker buddies are talking about it. That's discreetly happening, but publicly, we haven't seen. Um, We're starting to see it. So Golden Leaf Holdings, for example, sold uh, their Canadian operations for three million bucks. Three million. Three million bucks, and and I mean they, you know, I think they're they're probably carrying it a lot higher on their balance sheet, and that includes like debt, and they took back a note, and et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we're we're starting to see it. Yeah, it's trickling sure. slowly. Yeah, but again, I think the limiting factor is just that there's not that many buyers. I think that's what's what's really uh, holding back more sales happening is that mm-hmm. people just aren't biting. Yeah. Uh, And then you're seeing, for example, MedMen, um, they're selling, you know, they've already announced they're selling some of their non-core licenses, right? So they're selling some of their Arizona licenses. They're selling a cultivation facility in Illinois. So if you have choice assets, which are are usually limited in nature, limited license, and are in good markets, which there are not that many of, Mm -hmm. you can still probably get a healthy price for what you have. Uh, But again, I'm talking about we're looking down a storm. So we're, we're sort of sitting on the coastline looking at a storm coming in. And when this hits, I think it's going to get real, real bad. Yeah. Right? So we're already seeing what's happening, you know, quietly or, or behind the scenes or, you know, happening when we go to conferences and talk to people. 
Um, but the reason why I'm, I'm you know, today uh, sounding the alarm bells is because I finally just decided to go and look for myself. So I went on to CEDAR, S-E-D-A-R, which is basically where all the public company information is posted. Mm-hmm. And I went to look for myself. Like, wh- how bad is it? Like, I went to go look at companies that are much lower quality, I would say, than I typically look at. And, you know, everybody only has so much bandwidth to look at so many companies, right? So yeah. I, I look at maybe seven to ten companies. So I really widened out the list. And, and over the last little while, I looked at probably 50 companies or something like that. And, like, some companies that people have probably never heard of, right? But yeah. but I was privy to because, you know, I saw them at a conference or whatever, whatever, right? And I was amazed at how many companies are running on fumes, have basically already run out of money, um, and... And remember, the information that I'm seeing is old because it's from September 30th usually, right? So now we're in January. You know, it's been four months. You know, if you just take their operating burn rate from last quarter, they should already be out of money. So, you know, obviously there's ways to extend that. There's ways to try to, you know, control their burn. Exactly. But I'm looking at a lot of these companies and saying, these companies are circling the drain right now. Mm-hmm. Like we're not talking about six month runway. We're talking about they're out of money today. And I think that is well, you can already see the signs of that when companies like Harvest One or Indus Holdings announce these um, bridge loans from some of their biggest investors at 15 to 20 percent. Yeah. Right. When you're borrowing a million or two million bucks at that kind of numbers, you need that money just to keep the lights on. So you can try to, I'm, I'm putting air quotes here, restructure yeah. and sell your assets. The problem is when everybody else is trying to sell their assets, yeah. you know, you're in a tough spot. Exactly. Right? And I think that, yes, there are some logical buyers like Cresco and Curaleaf and whatever. But remember, a lot of these companies already just went on huge M&A sprees. They already did a lot of buying in 18 and 19. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's not necessarily a lot of appetite to pick up more assets. And then secondly people need to sort of draw a moat around their own properties and they need to say like, yes, I have 300 million or $200 million. That's a giant war chest. I might need a lot of that myself to build out my facilities and build out my operation. Yeah. I don't want to be left short on cash and be dragged down by other people's problems. Mm-hmm. Right. So again, I encourage people to go look for themselves, look on CDAR, look at, you know, the various companies you hold if that company cannot raise capital in the next six to 12 months, is it going to be okay? Is that company going to be able to you know, survive even for six months? I think there's a lot of conversations happening where companies are saying, if we can just get through the next six months, we'll be okay. Yeah. Right? But if enough people are saying that, you got a problem. Yeah, exactly. Right? So the optimism out of all of this um, is that 2020 will be a really strong year for sales and sales growth, Illinois, Michigan, Canada, Ontario specifically, um, 2.0 rolling out in Canada. And we have a lot of good catalysts sort of towards the end of the year, especially with ballot initiatives, you know, New York probably going legal, New Jersey probably going legal. Um, You know, that's 30 million people right there. Yeah. That's very impressive. Uh, And then sales just ramping up naturally. Um, And also just the good companies continuing to distinguish themselves and set themselves apart from everybody else. Mm -hmm. These are all really, really positive things. My speculation is that as these other companies get pulled down and start going under, 
there is going to be a lot of panic and pessimism and a sell-off that is sector-wide. And yes, the good companies will hold up better than the crap companies. Yeah, but, but they're still going to get thrown out with the bathwater. Oh, I, I just don't, I just don't see how if if every day you open the paper and they're talking about a new cannabis company that, that's going broke, I don't see how people don't get rattled and start selling. I just don't see how that doesn't happen, right? And again, there's a large degree of uncertainty here, right? We don't know. But when we're, you're seeing reports and confirmed reports now that MedMen is not paying their suppliers. And or their employees. Yeah. <laughs> well, they laid off a lot of employees, yeah. right? Um, they're not paying their suppliers. They're offering them 50 cents on the dollar. They're offering to pay them in stock. I mean, when you see things like that, it really, really makes you think. Because companies like MedMen and Acreage, which, by the way, I think are, you know, give me a lot of pause, those two companies. Um when those companies are having problems, like those companies actually have a path to figuring things out just in that, um, you know, there's a lot of, they have a lot of assets. They have a lot of investors who are willing to throw more capital behind them. Um, those companies are a league above some of these smaller companies, mm -hmm. right? They have that recognition. But the flip side is, so, so I think those companies have a lot more runway. But if those companies get pulled down and go under, all bets are off. Right. If a MedMen can go under, which has had hundreds of millions of dollars invested into it, I think people are going to look at even Cresco and Trulieve and GTI and be like, whoa, I, I'm taking my money out while I still can. And I think people will get rattled. Right. So, you, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, in that ensuing chaos and madness, I think that will, that becomes one of the best opportunities of our lifetime to invest. Right. If this was an, an any other sector aside from the cannabis sector, and I think this is something we should look into anyways, um, is there institutional capital and sitting on the sidelines? So are there buy side funds that would typically deploy but are just, you know, they've banked up their cash position because they're seeing something very similar right. to what we're seeing? Are they wait are they keeping, you know, their gunpowder dry essentially? Right. To sort of capitalize on that. Because I've had a couple conversations with some pretty not big funds, but decent sized funds. And a lot of them are like, you know what, we're just holding off on investing. We're not we're not increasing yep. our cannabis allocation. We're not decreasing it right now. We're kind of keeping it tight. Mm -hmm. We are liquidating a little bit. We are kind of going to cash and you know, sorry, those are two separate conversations. Sure. Um but I would like to see sort of where fund flows are going. Yeah. Uh, because that could cut could that could be very indicative of uh, of what's to come. Yeah. So, and I want to touch on that because let's talk about quote unquote smart money. Okay. Because we're going to do an episode also after this of, on how smart are cannabis investors, right? Um, and let's talk about the companies that have actually gone broke so far, which there's basically zero, but there's there's two. There's mm -hmm. one in the U.S. Dime Dionymed, and there's one in Canada, which is uh, Agmatica. Right. Yeah. Now, maybe some other companies have gone by the wayside, but these two are the only ones that have really attracted people's attention. Okay. Dime is a really crazy story because I remember um, my not my broker, but a broker at Canaccord approaching me and saying, "Hey, check out this deal. We love it." Da da da. da. Um, so they raised money from Canaccord very shortly before they went broke. Um, they raised money from IIPR REIT very shortly before they went broke. And they got money from Gotham Green shortly before they went broke. That is like the cannabis investor bingo for companies to raise capital from. Canaccord, mm -hmm. IIPR, Gotham Green, right? Those are the three biggest sources of debt and equity capital 
yeah, real estate capital or whatever right. in the industry. Okay. Yeah. Um, none of those guys took a look at what was going on at the, the state of Dimes business and their balance sheet and nobody figured out um you know that this that this was gonna go under. Yeah. Like, I'm not I'm not saying that to denigrate them. I'm saying it to show that even the smartest money in the space doesn't always know. Right. Right. Wasn't paying attention or or made some bad assumptions. Right. And and I went back and looked at Dionymed because I, I said, I want to see what happens. What does it look like before a company goes broke? So I went back and looked at their the latest financial statement that they had, and I think it's from I think it's from June 30th. And you know, low cash position, um, ballooning receivables. Um, uh, so the accounts payable was way bigger than their accounts receivable. Mm-hmm. They had a tax bill owing. Um, and yet they still, that so that statement was from June 30th, they still managed to skate until about December before things hit the fan, really. So they managed to go almost six months really running on fumes uh, before everything fell apart. Right, and their cash burn rate was enormous, absolutely enormous. So, and they managed to get these different sources of capital in the door before they went broke. Right, right. So, and you know, a topic for another day is restructuring is also a big question mark in cannabis because the U in the U.S. it's federally illegal, so you can't file Chapter Eleven bankruptcy. You know, you can file certain protections state by state, but nobody really knows how all of this plays out. And that makes lenders very, very nervous, and mm-hmm. very hesitant to get in. You know, to your point, there probably is some money on the sidelines waiting to get in. I believe that. Um, I think they're going to get pretty scared too, right? So I don't – this is the uncertainty part. I don't know how everything plays out next. Right. But what I can see is that there's a lot of companies burning a lot of money, and there's not a lot of money being raised because – these companies I'm seeing, they're they're posting, hey, we just we got a bridge loan of a million bucks. We got mm-hmm. you know financing. We raised five hundred grand. Um, when you see that happening, people raising smaller and smaller amounts. Hey, we just raised five hundred grand. You're like, what's five hundred grand? That's like two weeks for you, yeah. right? The only reason you raised five hundred grand is because you couldn't raise five million. Yeah, right. So that is not what you want to see, right? And and so actually, to this degree, I actually made like a little checklist of similarities that I noticed of companies that were circling the drain, as I call it. Mm-hmm. So the first one is um, you see a replacement of talent at the C-suite. So CEO, CFO, COO, um, and or the auditor, right? So you see some turnover there. By the way, when they replace the CEO, uh, it's always a good announcement that they put on it. They always spin it positively. Right. We're so happy to have this uh, amazing new CEO coming and they're going to take over the, the CEO and the COO role and the president role because we're, <laughs> we're cutting the head count, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not a good sign. Don't fall for that. Not a good sign. Okay. Um, another one is um, decreasing the, what I call the, the desperation financing. So uh, raising smaller and smaller amounts of money at worse and worse terms. Right. Right. That we see often. Big red flag. Yeah. Big red flag. Right. So um, it's a couple others I'm blanking on now on on the checklist, but you see the same story play out again and again and again. And I think it's a little silly to see the same um, red flags and ignore them. Mm -hmm. And there's a there's a great quote I heard that was like, when you're when you're wearing rose colored glasses, all of the red flags just look like regular flags. (laughs) 
So I think part of the problem is us, the investors. Yeah. We don't want to hear bad news, right? We don't want to hear people saying uh, a storm's coming and it's about to hit and everyone should be careful. Right. Right. So... And so, a lot of companies also don't want to give bad news, and a lot of banks don't want, or bankers, yeah, totally. don't want to give bad news totally. because you know they're their clients. So it's like you're to your own client, you're giving uh, a low price target or something negative, you know. Yeah. So just even when you're reading research reports, there's always that bias that comes in. Absolutely, and and to your point, um, part of this too is also a self fulfilling cycle, and that and that's why I referenced 2008 because mm-hmm. 2008 was really a credit crisis where suddenly banks were looking at each other and saying, I don't want to lend you money because I don't know if you're going to be around tomorrow. And the this, you know, our economy cannot function without credit. We need credit. And when, right. when banks won't lend to each other, that's a full-blown crisis. And again, touching on MedMen not paying their suppliers, you're going to see this now where companies start going, wait a minute, I'm not sure I can give you credit anymore. Like, I'm not sure I can extend you credit because I don't know if you'll be able to pay it back. Right. And when that happens, again, th- this is a dangerous cycle because if you don't have credit amongst different companies, w- we all have to pay in cash now. Uh, I mean, again, your burn rate just went up even higher because mm-hmm. now we're advancing cash to get our, you know, our receivables basically uh, have have to shrink and our cash position has to make up for it. Right? right. So we have to spend money now instead of building receivables. That's a big problem. Gotcha. Right. And that's what I'm worried about what's going to happen when the first domino falls, um, and they're already falling, but when the first domino falls, everyone's suddenly going to be looking at each other like, wait a minute, are you going to be around tomorrow? Are you going to be around tomorrow? I don't want to lend money to you. I don't want to lend credit to you. I don't want to do business with you. That's when it's going to precipitate very quickly. Right. That's that's sort of the thesis. Mm-hmm. So what? Okay. So what? All right. So I've got this very doom and gloom prediction. Uh, again, we don't know that it's going to happen, but it certainly seems like it's coming. What should investors do? What am I doing? Okay. So the last week, 10 days, we've had an incredible rally and it's been a great bounce back. And many people, myself included, are feeling like, all right, this is just the beginning. Like, you know, like let, let's try to get some, uh, let's try to keep going. Right. Um, but then with, with realizing all this stuff that I'm realizing, I decided, no, 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 I need to have more cash. I need to be able to have some dry powder to deploy. I need to get some money off the table. So I have been selling relatively aggressively, and I've been trying to build this cash position up because when the time comes, I want to have cash to deploy. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now, if I was 100% certain in everything I just said and I knew exactly how everything was going to play out, then the logical move would be go to go all cash, 100% cash, and wait, right. right? And then try to get money in when things start turning south. Mm-hmm. But the reality is it's very difficult to time the market. And it's, in my opinion, a bit of a loser's game to try to 100% time the market. Right. So my recommendation and what I'm doing is hedge, hedge, hedge. So right now I'm probably up to about 15% cash. Um, we're having some earnings coming out soon. Liberty Health is coming out at the end of the month. I think they're gonna have a great quarter. I think they're going to do, you know, 45% more in sales than they did last quarter. Uh, that's a big position of mine. I think that'll, you know, precipitate a little bit of a run. I'll take some money off the table there. But I want to build that cash position up so that when the dominoes start falling, 
I'm in a position to start deploying again. So yeah, okay, sorry. When you're saying hedge, you're meaning really just take profits off the table yes. that come in. Like you're not like shorting. There's no, no options. No, no, puts, no, like no. That. Yeah, okay. great point. So personally, I've never shorted anything in my life. Um, again, I'm a real estate guy. Capital markets or, or this type of capital market, stock market is new to me um, or newer to me, let's say. Um, you know, shorting has its own issues. Uh, but also like I'm not necessarily, I don't like to be a short I think there are great short opportunities out there right now. There's yeah. a lot of them. Um, however, I'd rather just take some money off the table, build that cash position, and then be in a position to deploy right, right. when it hits the fan, right? And I think that the opportunity will be to put money into you know the best operators, the top operators at very attractive valuation. Right, quality companies. Absolutely, mm -hmm. right? And we've talked many times about who we really like, but... Mm -hmm. um, I think those companies will have the opportunity to kind of have their pick of the litter. Mm -hmm. As companies are going broke around them, they're going to be able to go, okay, you know, we want you and we're not going to pay anything for you. We're going to just give you stock and you know you're going to be around because you've got, you know, truly paying your bills, right? And you got to be part of a winning team now. Right. Right. So that kind of stuff will happen, my opinion. Also, if you can pay cash for things, you're probably going to be able to get things very cheap because companies don't have cash. Yeah. Right. So so that's my way of playing it. Right. I, I still have appetite for the space. I still have incredible, you know, look, 85 percent of my portfolio is still in cannabis. Right. Yeah. 15 percent in cash. Most of it's still in. Right. Um, but it's it's because I went high quality. I've taken out some of the lower quality names. I already focused on the companies with margins, cash flow, et cetera. I'll still do a private placement or an early stage company, but I'm super picky right now. It's got to be something that is going in well capitalized. It's got to be something that makes sense. It's really got to jump off the page for me to write a check today. Yeah. So in terms of what people should be looking for in their investments, um, we've said this before, but we'll say it again. Number one, I think, is cash flow. If you are cash flowing, then you are automatically immune to needing to raise capital because you're not burning your capital. Very important to differentiate between EBITDA and actual cash flow. So EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. Um, interest and taxes, especially in the U.S., extremely high. Right. So you're seeing even the best companies borrow money at 12 to 13%, right? Taxes, 280E, without getting too much into it, causes a huge financial burden on a company. If their gross margin is 50%, they're probably having to pay tax of 13% on every dollar of revenue. Right. So if you're Not paying, just the profits. Yeah. Exactly. So if you're paying 13% on your interest and you're paying 13% on your taxes, you need to be making EBITDA of, you know, 25, 26% just to break even from a cash flow perspective. Right. That's a scary thought. Right. Not many companies are making EBITDA of 25, 30% yet. Mm -hmm. Right. Obviously it, it depends how much debt you're carrying and blah, 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 blah. But that's a problem. Not many people can pull that off yet. So even the best guys are probably going to be burning cash flow for a little while. Right? Okay. So you got to look for cash flow. You got to look for cash on the balance sheet. If you have a lot of cash on the balance sheet, you are going to be in a really, really good position. Because when everyone is you know, going down around you, you're gonna, and, and again, I think your stock might be hammered as well, but you're going to be able to buy. Yeah, you can buy back your stock, right? Valens did that. It was the first company to do that, yeah. and that was 
huge news. You know, it gave me sort of a lot of confidence in that company. Yeah, it's funny. I when when I sat down with them, I was like, "What are you doing? <laughs> Why are you buying back the stock? You yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's at a discount. They leave in the company. Fair enough. But my point was like, and they've got a lot of cash on the balance sheet, but mm-hmm. uh, it's more of look." there's opportunities to s- deploy that cash and buy your competitors or buy ancillary businesses and generate a much higher rate of return than, you know, buying back the stock. Right. But for them, I think even just the announcement, just the willingness to buy back the stock sends the market a message. Yeah. Right. And that, and that's part of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so access to capital, that's so key, right? Are, are, are lenders willing to back you? Are equity players willing to back you? Right. That kind of stuff. If you have good access to capital, um, that dramatically increases your runway, right? So that's something to look out for. One thing I realized that uh, we talked about on the on the last episode, um, Abby, was the fact that companies are going to roll and go to zero, right? And I think it's easy to sort of just say that flippantly. Mm-hmm. I think it's another thing to actually have a company go to zero. The feeling it leaves in somebody's gut, I think that's a real problem. And I was telling you earlier, I was looking at my investment portfolio. I've never had a company go to zero before, knock on wood, right? Even the ones when I got beat up last year, you know, I sold the bottom half of my portfolio. I took the heavy losses, flipped it into the winners, made a good amount back, right? So I've never had a zero. Um, but I have one or two private investments that I'm looking at. My, I'm like, this could be a zero. And they're not even that much money, but it makes me sick to my stomach that, you know, I made that mistake, that I made that that poor investment, right? When realistically, you kind of have to have some risk tolerance. Yeah, well, I mean, like, you didn't make a, like, a poor mistake. You acted off the information that you had. It's not like you bought them yesterday right. knowing that they are going to zero. Right, I, right, but I, it's still a mistake that I made, right? So I look at, like, okay, what could I have done differently, et cetera. Yeah. But the point I'm making is there's a lot of stocks out there, a lot of companies out there that are, you know, doing what they do, which is going out there and cheerleading and pumping their stock and getting people to buy in, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and again, I think that if you, you know, see a promotional interview with somebody, you get really excited, you go out and you spend a thousand bucks or two thousand bucks because you're just, you know, a mom and pop retail investor. Uh, it's a penny stock, it's twenty five cents or whatever, and then that company goes to zero a month later. Yeah, it's the worst. I mean, you probably feel like a real idiot and you probably walk away thinking cannabis is a scam. Yeah. Right? So I think when that happens, I think that causes real panic. I think that has kind of a lasting effect. Um, and there's a an old adage that says, you know, the best time to buy real estate is when there's blood in the streets, right? And that's because people panic and they want to get rid of it, right? And they want to get out, right? Yeah. I think we're going to have a lot of blood in the streets in cannabis. But the positive news is, you know, everything in in, in capital markets and venture seems to happen pretty quickly. I think it's going to hit faster than we think. I think it's going to get cleaned up pretty fast too. So I think, you know, it's incoming. If, you know, my official prediction is within six months. So it's January uh, 21st today, January 22nd. So the end of January, basically, you know, six months is my official prediction within six months. I think realistically it'll happen sooner, right? I think the domino, once the first dominoes start falling, I think it'll accelerate pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it will take time to work through it. And, but in that, sort of span that will be the real golden investment opportunity for guys like you and I which makes sense yeah I'm surprised you didn't use your favorite uh, Warren Buffett quote which one is that be greedy when others are fearful be fearful when others, others are, are greedy. greedy yeah that's that is a great quote and um, 
yeah, fear and greed, right? And and I think that people aren't fearful enough right now, and that's what's concerning me. So you're greedy. Uh, no, other way around. People are being too greedy right now. And oh, I'm gotcha. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm fearful. Yeah, right. that, that's my point. Is, and I would I would feel better if you know we weren't the only ones talking about this, right? I've seen. And I've sent you. Well, people people are talking about. It. I just don't think it's as widespread as you and I would like to see it. Right. They right. don't all have podcasts. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because I mean, like, no, think about it. You, you can't. You, like, Alan Brockstein, for example, he's he's sort of talking about a little bit, like you know, the mm-hmm. the, the capital the crunch. crunch. Yeah. Um, there are some people who are who are who are talking about it, but it's not. It's not mainstream yet. Yeah, yeah. Right? People, Which is, yeah. We're still ahead of the point. curve. I definitely think we're still way ahead of the curve. Yeah, and and I think again when we have these private conversations. The, the conversations are being had, but they're being had quietly or be, behind yeah. closed doors. Yeah. Um, and a guy like Alan Brockstein, who you know, like I have a tremendous amount of respect for, and I think I think 420 Investor, which I subscribe to and now you subscribe so do I. to, yeah, um, is is a great resource. Um, I think what people are missing is they're saying, yeah, some companies are gonna have a really hard time. You know, it's not gonna be good for them, but you know, the big guys are fine. Cresco's fine. Truly's fine. Whatever, whatever. I don't think people realize the contagion, like or, or at least that's my thesis, right? I don't know that that's one hundred percent, but when these dominoes start falling, I think it's I think it's going to kill the whole sector for a while. I think it's really going to hurt. Oh, for sure, buddy! It's going to be brutal. It's going to be brutal, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's going to be, be carnage. That's that's my. It's going to be like, like the internet uh, crash, right? Right, right, exactly. And and you know, as a real estate guy, um, I hear legends about the crash of sort of eighty nine ninety, um, wiping out entire you know lending institutions, wiping out banks. And real estate took probably five or six years to come back from that, right? Yeah. But the flip side is people who bought real estate in that five, six-year window absolutely crushed it. Yeah, and I mean, listen, you, you, that it's a little bit of a different scenario because real estate's a tangible asset. Um, mm-hmm. Think about it. Think about the internet bubble. If you had bought during that, you know, that down part, down mm-hmm. downturn. Mm-hmm. If you didn't buy Amazon, if you didn't buy Google, if you didn't yeah, you had buy, to buy the Yahoo, winner, for sure. Yeah, yeah, you know, it would have gone to zero. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great point. And so I think it's hard to identify the winners. Yeah. Um, and once you do identify them, and you think you can make a compelling case, I mean, don't just dive in with two feet. Just start slowly buying. Up, exactly, right? and and that's a great a great message is is be careful, be prudent. You know, um, I think again, hedge. When I say hedge, don't try to jump in. Or out all at one point, right? If you see value, buy. If you if you see a good jump or a good gain, sell a little bit. You you got to be playing. Um, you know, you got to be thinking strategically. So yeah. I don't want to be deploying all my money in one shot. I really want to be doing. You know, I think of my kind of capital in blocks, right? And I yeah. trim here, trim there, buy there, buy there. And uh, you know, some of it's going to be higher risk, some of it's going to be lower risk. Um, but we'll see, right? Let's see how this plays out. And I'm I'm very interested to see over the next couple of weeks the next round of earnings that come out, right? Yeah. Now, just to close all this off, I just want to give the, you know, let's say counter argument. And by the way, all of our, you know, friends of the podcast that I've been talking to and, and, and trying to get information from, I always say, look, this is my thesis. What am I missing? S- someone please tell me I'm wrong and explain to me what I'm missing. And to a T, everybody has said, you're not missing anything. However, you know, one, once in a while, somebody will say, look, the capital markets could open up a little bit, right? They could become, 
you know, more free-flowing. And people might figure out ways to skate for six, six months. They might figure out a way to make the money last, right? Some of these companies might go broke, and maybe nobody really pays attention or cares because they were really small companies. I, I think the capital markets could open up, but I think not retail, but institutional side, the institutional side of the street could really open up. I can mm-hmm. see that sort of happening because I feel like they've been on the sidelines the last little bit. And I think a lot of the buy-side funds that have sort of increased their cash positions, there's a couple that come to mind. Yeah. I think they could kind of come back in, but I don't think they're going to come. I mean, it's not going to come back with like a vengeance. You know, it's not going to be like what it was in the the glory. Yeah. Or like late 2017, 2017, you know, like when everybody, when retail kind of came in and said, hey, listen, I'm going to buy. You had like 10,000 people buying maybe $50,000 worth of stock. Right. 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 That that I don't think is going to happen anymore. Now you're going to have like 20 people buying five million dollars worth of stock right, right? right something like that and and to be clear you know i'm we're saying the equity markets have dried up people are still getting deals done even smaller companies right like i've seen um two companies in california which are really kind of early stage companies yeah raise five million dollars each that's a great raise yeah. but i think that speaks to the quality of the company right there's still some capital out there for yeah. the right opportunities for sure uh but i just think it's super super selective yeah um and a lot of these companies, they're just, they're on their way down to zero. Right. Right. So let's see. We'd love to hear your opinions on this. Um, this is the, you know, we'll call this the, the chicken little episode, the sky is falling episode. <laughs> and, you know, time stamp it right here and, and time will tell. Right. So I'm, I'm, the official prediction is within six months and we'll keep checking in and, and see how this develops. For sure. Thanks for listening, guys. This podcast is a general communication and entertainment being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan, feature, or other purposes. Any examples used in this podcast are generic, hypothetical, and for entertainment purposes only. None of Cannabis Investing Network or its affiliates are suggesting that the listener or any other person take a specific course of action or any action at all. Communications such as this are not impartial and are provided in connection with advertising and marketing of products and services. Prior to making any investment or financial decisions, an investor should seek individualized advice from, from a personal financial, legal, tax, and other professional advisor that take into account all of the particular facts and circumstances for an investor's own situation. By listening to this communication, you agree with the intended purpose described earlier. Opinions and statements of financial market trends that are based on current market conditions constitute our judgment and are subject to change without notice. We believe the information provided here is reliable, but should not be assumed to be accurate or complete. The views and strategies described may not be suitable for all investors.